Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I am so super excited today. We have a fantastic, fantastic guest. It's Michelle McKenna, who's the CIO and Senior Vice President at the National Football League. How cool is that, right? Michelle is a, a great friend of mine and someone who's been a client for uh, many, many years. Uh, she has, prior to being the CIO of the NFL, she was probably will miss something in her long history. And I will, well, I mean, not that long, but I will, <laughs> I will give her the opportunity to introduce herself. You know, she was the CIO at uh, Constellation Energy, which is uh, part of Exxon, major, one of the world's largest energy companies. Prior to that, she was uh, the CIO with Universal Studios Theme Parks, another really cool role. A part of that, she was a senior executive with Disney. And I know along the way, she's had another couple cool roles. She's been on the boards of some major, a major public companies. So she speaks regularly at conferences, including she's been invited to speak by Amazon and Google and others. So really an awesome person, someone I'm really excited to get to work with on a regular basis. And with that, I will introduce uh, Michelle. Hey, Michelle, thanks again for being here. Hey, Howard. Thanks for having me. So I want to give you a platform to, to introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about your a career and journey. I would imagine there's probably a lot of people who are watching being the CIO of the NFL. That sounds pretty cool. How can I become the CIO of the NFL? <laughs> What's the career path that gets you there? Well, I guess, you know, if you're wishing that, you might want to be careful what you wish for. These are some <laughs> crazy times, but... Yeah, I mean, I started my career uh, on the business side of the house as far as, you know, what my official training was, have a background in accounting and finance. And that's how I, I did a couple of years stint with uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers right out of college. And my daughter, I, I encouraged her to follow those same footsteps because I feel like uh, accounting and finance is uh, not always fun, but it really is the language of business. I saw so many different businesses that I realized that I loved any time there was a change that went on, I would end up being an auditor that, you know, either we were selling a company or buying a company. And uh, most people were complaining about those audits. And I loved doing those kinds of audits, which were combinations of companies, which meant reorganizing teams. And I realized pretty quickly that somehow I wanted to be involved in that. And so I left uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, went to Disney, and I, just, really, I just have to interject on one thing, which is to say, I know your daughter, Maggie, who you just mentioned, just passed her CPA exam. Yes, she so did. So how about that? That's so awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> and please, yeah. please congratulate her for me. Dur during the studying portion, she was like, what the heck did you convince me to do, mom? This is the worst <laughs> idea you ever had. But then when she got her passing grade, um, she still has three more parts to go. So we're not uh, declaring victory yet. But it was, getting that first one is a big one. But yeah, so I left PwC, ultimately got hired briefly by MetLife, who was one of my clients. And MetLife was a large owner of commercial real estate, maybe one of the largest in the country. And they had a huge portfolio of hotels. And since I love to travel, I did a lot of asset management on the hotel side of things. And that's how I got really introduced to Disney, because not many people know, but the Dolphin and the Swan is a joint venture. It's on Disney property, but it's a joint venture between uh, MetLife and uh, Tish Realty. So I was part of that as a MetLife employee. And really, I'd always been a huge Disney fan and loved Disney from a child. But I realized what a great experience it would be to learn from there. So I ended up moving my family to Orlando and 
took a job at Disney where I stayed for 14 years in a variety of roles. And I'd say that was how I got to be CIO of the NFL was the fact that I worked in almost every single department. I started in finance and planning, but I worked in operations. I worked in marketing. I worked in sales briefly. You know, I used to do all kinds of things and Disney was such a change forward company. And that's uh, sort of what got me hooked into the IT world is I transitioned uh, from uh, marketing and strategic planning into IT at Disney. Then from there, a couple more cool jobs, One, you know, many of which we've worked with together. Uh, we launched the Wizarding World of Harry Potter together. You were a big part of that with me. That was amazing. And then I moved north and everyone up here is like, what? You're going the wrong direction. Most people <laughs> go north to south. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I've been in New York now since 2012 and the CIO of the NFL. Amazing. It's an amazing journey. So for anyone who just wants the cliff notes, if you want to become the CIO of a major sports league, get a job at PwC, then go work for a major life insurance company, and that's going to lead you down the path, right? So who would have thought? It's un- unknown secrets to, to So no, that's amazing. And I know part of it is the, the, the trailblazing that you've done along the way. Because it's not just where you've worked, but it's the roles that you've played. And correct me if I mistake this, but you've sought out, I think, projects that were challenging and risky and really were transformational for the organizations that you worked for. And then, of course, played a leadership role in those, which both gave you the opportunity to shine. And I'm guessing also learn a heck of a lot. (laughs) And by the way, in my introduction, I totally neglected to mention that you kindly wrote the introduction to my new book, which is coming out in October, Winning Digital Customers. So thank you so much for that. She wrote an awesome introduction. In fact, once you could just read that, you know, I would say just buy the book and read Michelle's <laughs> introduction and, and you really don't need to read the rest of the book. That is worth the entire <laughs> price of the book. So just, just buy it for that. But part of what that book is about, of course, and, and what we've worked so much on is this area of how do you get these behemoth companies? Because we've both spent our careers working with big corporations and then trying to do these transformational projects, I know is challenging. So well, maybe we start there. What are some of the biggest challenges and roadblocks you faced on some of the different things you've tried to do at some of these companies? Yeah, I mean, you're right. As far as where you work is very important, but what you do there and the role you take, which means, you know, the old adage, no pain, no gain, or no risk, no reward is very, very true. If you want to stay safe, you can certainly have a great career at many, many companies. Uh, But you won't get the big roles and the big chances if you aren't taking risk. And so I did naturally navigate in the very beginning, even when I was first out of college to today, if I see something that is a change or will change the way people think about something or react or do, that's what makes me come to work every day. And being a CIO, I found is such a rewarding job because it's not the same job every day. And you can decide to be in a certain role where, you know, you'd rather have a more predictable daily routine. Um, but I really love being attracted to those big transformations. I can give a few examples. I'd say Disney, honestly, Disney already. I mean, when they they had the standard for what it is to have an amazing guest experience. And so one of the best things was choosing a company that you can match your standards for excellence with. Uh, no corners would be cut. No, uh, you know, it was just understood that we either do it the right way or we just don't do it. And I loved that, which meant I felt like I had permission to bring things up that were controversial or people didn't agree on. If you had a common culture that said we're going to do it right or not do it at all, 
um, that gave that gives leaders and change leaders a chance to say, you know, this isn't personal. Let's just talk this through. I don't feel like this is right or this isn't how we should do it. And so ultimately, my sort of nitpicking around data and the lack thereof when I was in marketing. So I was in marketing back when we were pulling lists or email lists from American Express and buying lists. And I was sitting there as an analyst building, you know, at the time, what I later learned was called shadow IT. I was doing building, you know, tables and trying to pull in our own data, which was so rich. I mean, if you thought about the data that lived in Disney systems and why were we buying lists when this data was, you know, to me, it seemed like such a simple thing, but I very quickly learned from my IT colleagues, oh, be careful. Yeah, this is not simple. All this data is buried in all these systems that frankly weren't engineered for the internet age. They were not, they're not open systems that you can pull data and match across say a res system in the hotel versus a theme park ticket. And so that just became my passion to why, why can't we fix that? And that why ended up resulting in a multi hundred million dollar four or five year journey to change all the sales and marketing and reservation systems at Disney. So that one day, you know, we didn't know that one day people could wear bands and just tap in and out. And, but we figured and this is what's great about working for a visionary company is you figure one day you might need to be ready for this type of stuff. And in the middle of that, 9-11 happened. And that was a time when leadership really steps up. It always does in the middle of a crisis, but for sure did there because our business disappeared overnight and therefore every belt got tightened and all projects got halted or cut with the exception of this big IT project. So now all of a sudden, not only is it a cool IT project, but everybody's watching, including the board of directors of Disney, because frankly, it's the only thing being funded at the moment. And our president at the time uh, of uh, Disney theme parks said to me, well, this is when we double down because we really do believe in our product and we need to be ready when America comes back to vacationing. And we were, and now you can see all of the many things that have come out of that. Disney's Magical Express, the uh, Fast Pass, the you know the band that you wear. I mean, there's so many things that got built on that. So that's really where I learned about how to drive change and how to stick with and be convicted. That's great. I didn't realize that the 9-11 was in the middle of that. It reminds me, of course, of, of what's happening today with the pandemic, but also when we were working together at Universal Studios theme parks, because that was in 2008, where we had really just begun a very transformational project when, you know, the the housing bubble burst and the market tanked and the economy was in shambles and so much there as well. Same thing, really, uh, everything was getting slashed except your big project. It was the one thing, maybe not the one thing, there were a few other things like you know, uh, some other parts that were related to the Wizarding World. But uh, it was one of the few things where they said, no, 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 we need to preserve this. So I'm curious, it's two questions in one, but I'm curious how you got these things off the ground. Because I would guess, and tell me if I'm wrong, but even at Disney, you might not have been the first person who had the idea that we should fix this problem. I, I mean, maybe you were, but usually when I come along, I'm not the first person to realize there's a need, but it's the question of who's the person who kind of, injected the leadership to get it happen. It's hard for me to imagine it's only the merits that makes people not cut them in difficult times, but also something about the leadership, the positioning, the the way that people are helped to understand why they're so important. I think it's very true. And I think 
Certainly. And I've, I've heard this uh, from my dad who was military is, um, you know, you're, you're not usually the front line, you know, once you're successful, uh, a lot of people may have sacrificed their lives or even frankly, their careers on the way to trying to push forward an idea. And so some of it is timing, but some of it is just knowing when to be bold and courageous and also feeling convicted enough about something that you're willing frankly, to lose your job over it. That is very uncomfortable, but it is the truth. And you do have to have alignment from the top down. And, you know, you start there, certainly. But grassroots bottom-up support is how these things happen. You could have all the yes and fundings and everything. You've got to have all that. That's a given. But to actually have long-lasting change, you have to be an evangelist for the change. And that means at the grassroots. So, at Universal specifically, that is where I had to start. They did recognize what I had done at Disney. So they recognized that I knew how to do this. They also recognized I persevered in the face of tough economic times. But frankly, the top leadership was a little afraid of the change. And rightly so. I mean, this was big. This was bringing the Florida theme park had lived in Disney shadow for, well, since his existence. And Disney always reminded them of that on a regular basis. But the Wizarding World of Harry Potter was about to change that. All of a sudden, you're going to be on the world stage. And what I found amazing was how much the, you know, team members rallied around the kinds of change that needed to be pushed through from just a online and digital relaunch, basically, of the whole park, which meant marketing, it meant sales, it meant e-commerce, it meant ticketing, it meant mobile ticketing, it meant, you know, all of those kinds of things, all new point of sale systems. And just when, you know, the project was big enough, I'd say, but we really need to do this part too, because while we're in here, we might as well. And so, yeah, I think just being bold, courageous, and sometimes willing to lose your job over because at the end of the day, the person who might be chosen to be the right person to forge it through and lead it through might not be the right person to shepherd it when it's done. And that's what happened to me at Universal Studios is I turned out to be the right person to get it done. But in the end, you know, it was determined that I wasn't the right person to run it once it was up. And you know what they were at, at the time, I remember thinking, what, of course I'm the right person. But as time wore on and I've now had the benefit of 2020 hindsight is, yeah, that was really right. I am a change uh, adrenaline junkie and I needed to go where the next kind of big change was. Yeah. Well, that's an inspiring story. I, I remember I had the same reaction though, when I heard that, that you were leaving there, I got, I don't even remember, but I was in Bali (laughs) and I got a call. (laughs) I was working at a Tony Robbins event there and I got a call from Bill Davis, who was the CIO. I think he's still the CEO at Universal and letting me know. And, and I thought that's insane. (laughs) That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. (laughs) And I would say, sorry, Bill, if you're listening, but number one, I don't think he's listening. And number two, I'm really not sorry. So (laughs) But obviously, whether or not what you say is, is accurate, that it was the right move. It certainly was the right move for you because yeah, clearly it was, it was one right of those wonderful examples of how, you know, uh, a door, a window closes, a door opens or whatever, or, you know, how, you know, if you were still there, you would never have done the things mm-hmm. that made. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's great for the person, even if it is the wrong decision for the company. But I want to double down on this point that you made that I think is so brilliant about being willing to lose your job. I think in some ways it may be the heart of everything to do with digital transformation. And 
and the flip side, right? The fear being one of the biggest barriers of companies and individuals really going there. And I wonder uh, if you have any psychology tips for people who are in those kind of roles, because as you point out, it's not an irrational fear. It's not like a fear of heights or something like you could very well lose your job if you push too hard on these transformations. And yet you may need to do that in order to get the company where it needs to go. And as you pointed out, you may do both. You may succeed for the company. And then lose your job, the ultimate, you know, unfairness. Any tips for someone who's sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, I get, I hear you, but I am afraid to lose my job. I am afraid of pushing too hard. Any thoughts for that person? Yeah, I mean, it, it does take a bit of finesse. You know, it takes a bit of uh, certainly, you know, from a psychological perspective, getting to know people and building relationships. So, you know, each person is an individual and you know how far you can push them. And you don't ever be sort of the bull in the china shop just racing in with transformative ideas. I mean, I always say a transformation. It really is a marathon that starts with really good relationships, good ideas, so that you can build some trust that'll give you enough runway to get some wins under your belt. And if you get a few wins uh, under your belt, get some points up. Uh, people are going to give you longer. They're going to start to give you more money. Um, and so you get to prove yourself uh, along the way. And depending on the situation, depending on how much time you have, Universal, I did not have as much time as I've luckily had at the NFL and I had at Disney because we had this big thing. I mean, it was opening. The Wizarding World was opening. So, so many hard decisions had to get made. And I frankly knew. I was breaking China. I knew there were times when I were breaking relationships and it used to keep me up at night. And and what I would say to people who have to do that, you know, find a good partner. Howard was often that person to me that I would talk late into the night about, oh my God, you know, I know I really stepped in at this time. I pushed too hard. And then I would find someone else I worked with to sort of say like, how do we, you know, work through things together? And, but it it does take a certain amount of self-confidence that, I think believing in yourself must start when you're a child. It doesn't just all of a sudden you begin to believe in your own abilities. So I guess I have my parents to thank for the fact that I believe, well, if I lose this job, I'll just go find another one and I'll need to negotiate on the way out so that I'm not hanging out there, you know, unemployed and not able to care for my family. But at the same time, I know there are just, you know, lots of companies out there that could use bright, smart, change thought leaders. So yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. So let's move on and let's talk a little about the NFL, which I know everyone wants to know about the NFL. What will what will be happening this season? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? All that inside information I know you have. Again, because we've been working together there, I know some of what's going on, but I'd love to hear it from you. I'm sure people would about the challenges that the NFL is facing right now. Yeah. I'll start with the fact that what really attracted me to come to work at the NFL, other than the fact that I am a huge football fan and frankly, was raised to, I mean, I did dream about this, but I honestly never really gave it an actual thought about that it would happen. But they didn't have a CIO in 2012. There wasn't a position that was leading technical transformation. There were people within each division who were doing lots of great things, who were very interested, but they didn't have anybody to knit it together. So That started in 2012, and a lot has changed. I mean, just watching the game, you can see how much more technology is a part of the game every day. You can see it on the sidelines. You can see it on your broadcast with next-gen stats and things like that. 
I'd say the thing that has put it to the test more than anything is being ready before you need to be ready was, you know, the situation we're in with the pandemic and how on March, early March, we were planning an amazing draft in Las Vegas. And we went from that to doing it from everybody's homes with very little time to plan. And the only way we did and pulled that off was that we had already gone through a digital transformation. If you had not gone through the digital transformation and gotten hit with that, there was no way you could have pivoted to all of that video moving through the cloud, all of the documents that you needed living in the digital world and and people being able to work and be remote, just like you and I are doing right now. If we hadn't have already gone through that, we would not have been able to do it. And that probably was my proudest career moment was to see that something that is so beloved to America as football and to be such an important part of these young men's lives as they really fulfill their dreams, to have to have taken away the draft from them and turned it into a phone call that you've been drafted would have just been just terrible. And so the fact that we were able to produce a show and and get that off and now we have a season underway is nothing short of amazing with a, a lot of amazing team members who all care so passionately about our product. And not to mention the fact that from a business perspective as well, the draft is huge money, right? Huge broadcast rights, a lot of advertising sold on that television programming. And uh, not only were you able to save that revenue in terms of having that program, but correct me if I'm mistaken, but I believe this was the most watched draft in history. It was really yeah. the most successful draft program ever, ever run by the league, probably by any league, I would guess. The NFLs are the b- biggest to begin with. I mean, that's that's amazing. So I see also, to your point about having gone through digital transformation, this direct connection that never could have been seen in advance between the work that we worked on together a few years prior moving the instant replay process on the field to the officiating command center. And many, some people may know what I'm referring to and some people may be like, I don't know what he's talking about, but if you see that connection too, I'd love your thoughts because it seems to me that even though that was a totally different problem that you were trying to solve in many ways, the broader view you took of it in terms of what it meant for the ability the league needed to have around, in this case, sort of video and the digital capabilities around video, I think is what you're referring to when you talk about at least one part of the digital transformation that enabled you guys to rapidly save the draft in a way that meant, I'm sure, I don't know how much money, but way more than you ever spent probably on that digital transformation, I'm guessing just from that one event, let alone all the other benefits. Yeah, it's true. You you know, when you lead IT, you're often not seen as a revenue you know producer and a lot of times you know you're pushed on by the CFO and others that are oh my god you're spending so much money um and that's true i do spend a lot of money on uh, technology but uh just like building a beautiful building you have to architect it right and you can't just if someone comes to me and asks which is what happened that we'd like to centralize instant replay. We'd like the person that's you know looking under the hood at the replay at the field. We want the same exact thing happening here at 345 Park in the NFL headquarters so that we can assist in making the calls, keep the games moving. That was the request. But like any good architect, you think about, okay, well, that's the request today. But if I give them that, I bet you five steps ahead, they're going to want to do this and I'm going to do that. So architecting it the right way led to um, really cloud solutions. And this was back in the day, you know, AWS and Microsoft Azure, and all of these were like introducing cloud platforms. And 
um, we were like, oh, well, let's, you know, let's use those. Um, and that also ended up being a huge sponsorship partnership between Amazon for NextGen Stats and Microsoft for the Surface tablet and for Teams. So along the way, not only did we prepare for this big moment that we didn't know we were going to have, but we got some amazing partners who, you know, pay us money as well, but help us solve uh, problems. So the first people, you know, we called right away, my team and I and the broadcast engineers were on the phone trying to figure out how to do this was a phone call to AWS, a phone call to Microsoft. And when I'm saying we're calling AWS, I mean, I'm calling Andy Jassy, like, that's what the NFL does for you. Like you could just call the head, you know, mm -hmm. you could just People call take the CEO call. Yeah. and they take your call and then they want to help you. And so it wasn't done alone. It was done on a good, strong backbone. And then with a lot of collaboration with our partners, which made it come to life. Yeah. Amazing. What were some of the challenges that you had to convince the organization to take that, that bigger, broader view, if any? Yeah. Well, in the beginning, what I sold the specific request that you're referring to about officiating was really packaged it up into a program just called the future of football. And you just have to be a little bit of a marketer too when you're a CIO, if you're a good one that gets stuff approved. You have to be able to tell a story, not just about, oh, we got to put this stuff in the cloud or we got to build a data warehouse. Believe me, if you call a data warehouse a data warehouse, it will never get approved. So you better have a good little story to go with it that actually tells the story. And so packaging it up as the future of football meant that we might not all be in the same place at the same time. We might need to move stuff very quickly, real time. And I, the commissioner, uh, our CFO, our head of strategy and our head of football, they all bought into the story, which got the funding going. And then once our coaches and players and the our team ownership saw the results, they just wanted more, which I think that's one of the biggest challenges when you are a CIO or if you are the person in charge of digital transformation is once the pipeline opens, you'll just be flooded with requests. And then you become uh, you have to put in a whole organization that's called demand management so that you can manage the demand. And then if you're not careful, you all of a sudden become that IT department that nobody wants to come to because you're saying no to them. And so always balancing between those two is the thing that I have to remind myself. And I tell others in the organization to please let me know if I'm because now I've been here eight years and I know how much work we have. And so I, you know, protecting my team from time to time will say, oh, no, we can't take that on. And, you know, I have good partners at the NFL who will say, uh, yeah, you're going to need to take that one on. So um, anyway, that's also kind of the dynamics of how these things get off the ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. And I mean, what I've seen you do over and over is grow IT teams so that you have more resources because the organization, instead of you going to the organization and saying, hey, I'm your new CIO, I want to build an empire, uh, you create demand. And the next thing you know, there's demanding so much more of you that of, of course you need more people to get it done so you can meet those needs. And there's a part of me that thinks all that stuff that you're talking about, about packaging things up is why the power of, you know, I was joking at the beginning about how the secret to becoming the CIO of the NFL is to go to work for PricewaterhouseCoopers as an auditor. But I think there's some truth to this because what you bring together is the ability to think of things from a real business perspective and be able to position things totally independent of IT because a lot of the people who you have to get to agree to the money they understand very little about technology, but they understand business. And so mm -hmm. what I've seen you do is speak to them in that language. And that's how you go from 
you know, uh, just I, I need this one problem solved and them asking you what would be the cheapest way to just get this single problem that we have right now solved to you painting a picture for them of a much larger investment that you know is going to be aligned to their needs in the future. Yeah. And then I think, you know, having the right kind of technical talent that I can uh, translate to who will trust me, will trust me not to hang them out there. Um, and that's a really big part of you. If you lead technical engineers, they have very little trust in things. <laughs> and I think that might be why they're very good at what they do. So Computers. I don't ever they want trust, to say that way. Computers. Yeah, they trust computers, <laughs> but they don't trust people. So working hard to get them to trust that, you know, I've got them and, you know, I'm not going to hang them out. But I will say there's a guy who works for me. His name is John Cave. He's amazing. Awesome. Architect. Man. I always, awesome guy. And he comes up with the best ideas, but I can't tell you how many times we've closed the door in my office or in the last six months been on a zoom and said, is this one of those things that could get either one of us fired? And I'll be like, this is exactly <laughs> the thing that could get both of us or either one of us fired. And then he goes, okay, then we got to do it. So I even got, you know, your like, partner in crime. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so yes, well. we, uh, we get going and get it underway. And then uh, the business comes along and, and because I came from shadow IT, I don't, I love shadow IT. If you have enough, like, time and you have smart people on your team and you want to go try to build something, I'll give you the right guardrails and the right sandbox. So you can't like impact the rest of the company. And that spurs innovation. If you try to make all innovation happen in one place, you're just not, it's just not going to happen. So you have to be, if you're a CIO trying to make that turn to be a digital leader, you got to like, learn to like and learn to love and embrace people that are doing shadow tech work uh, within their business. Yeah, absolutely. One, one last question for you, if I might, you know, we've talked about how a key part of what you've been able to do is see how the needs of today are going to become the needs of tomorrow, which mean you're able to sell into an organization, broader transformation. And of course, with COVID, we saw how some of the stuff that you were selling more broadly has really turned out to save the, save the bacon really of the organization by being ready, even though you didn't know, of course, none of us knew specifically what was going to happen. There was going to be a pandemic and those types of things, but you knew that these types of needs would be there. So what are the chess moves that you're seeing ahead? What are the things you're telling people now? You know, this is what we're going to want two years from now. This is what we're going to want five years from now. These are the things that we need to be preparing for. Wow. That's a really good question because I have been so it's for the first time in my career, I have been just barely keeping my head above water for a few months now. And this was such a shock to the nation as a whole and the world that we were living in this pandemic that I haven't had as much, you know, thinking time. I feel like one of those, I know Silicon Valley companies always give their like top people sabbaticals. So there's an idea, Roger, could I have a sabbatical? <laughs> Where I could go away and think about the next great Michelle, thing. They've been, they've been letting you work at happen. home. They've been letting you work at home for the last nine months. What more yeah. do you want? <laughs> I know. Letting me. I'm back at my office. Yeah. All that staying at home was, you know, just me relaxing on the couch. But the next big things I think are still going to be around uh, how people collaborate and communicate. I think it, this is just open the door wide open. I do think the types of employees you hire and the expectations that they have of you are going to change. We've been saying this for a while that first it was the millennial workforce and then it was, you know, well, I don't think we'll ever work the same. I don't think people will 
work the same that they've worked ever. And this is almost like another revolution, another industrial revolution on how people do work. And it's how people do white collar work and how people do, you know, where they are when they do it. And so that's a little more on the enterprise side, but it's also on the digital consumption of media and how is media consumed. You know, we've also been talking about that cord cutters, long form content, appointment style viewing, all of that is NFL's bread and butter. But we do know that that people are consuming our content differently. So setting it up so that they can get it wherever they want it, whenever they want it, however they want it requires a lot of technology infrastructure to do. So I I think that's a really big next generation thing that all media companies are very, very quickly working on. They've already been working on, but um, it's all been accelerated now. Yeah. So hopefully some of the work that you've already been doing is already preparing for where you're going to be in 18 months or two years and just keep that progress going. You know, I actually think that live sports has an advantage in this area because it's one of the one of the only areas where there's already a substantial business in both the live event and the simultaneous broadcast event. You yeah. don't see that in too many places. You don't see it in film. You don't see it in staged theater, you know, or most types of live events don't have a monetized component, which is also broadcast. And what I'm seeing today, of course, with a lot of live events like business conferences, for example, or seminars or other things where even university educations, where people, we have now this simultaneous experience, you know, half the kids are in the classroom, half are home, right? On Zoom, right? Uh, those types of things. And, and that's how a football game is, right? Where you have to simultaneously program for not, you know, you have this a little bit in a studio audience with like a sitcom or, or the Tonight Show, but that's different because you're not trying to monetize that audience. But with football and other live sports, you have a major revenue stream that comes from the people that are there live. And then you've got another major revenue stream that comes from the home viewer. So I wonder if there's anything that others can learn from what already has been learned in live sports that can start to be applied in, in other domains. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the biggest examples is the legalization of sports betting. And so we know there was a whole section of revenue that was we weren't participating in because we were not enabling or any way associated uh, with sports betting. But now uh, we are the official sort of betting feed. So anybody that takes bets on NFL games has to get the uh, stat as well as the video and the whole system to stop bets and all these kinds of interesting regulation things. Uh, we built that also out of the same platform that ultimately, you know, we started with back when we were um, moving instant replay and then next gen stats and putting chips on players and selling that to um, broadcasters as an additional revenue stream over and above sort of what their rights fee is for the broadcast. We can sell add-ons now. And so, yeah, I think that stuff's just going to keep happening. And we are going to always, you know, certainly have this, and we believe this appointment style viewing of watching a football game is our bread and butter, but there's so much around it that tying it all under a, our business development team and the guys who negotiate all our broadcast deals, you know, in the process of making sure there are carve outs so, for these businesses to grow and foster and participate with our broadcasters. Yep. Well, exciting times. And I'm always excited to keep an eye on what you're working on and where you're working, because I know that whatever you're working on and wherever you're working, there's something really cool coming. And I've seen that year after year after year. So excited to see where you've got coming next. And when you let me, when I have the opportunity to participate, as you very often allowed us to do, it, it's always a thrill. So thanks 
Thanks so much, Michelle, for joining us on the podcast for, of course, the, the introduction to the book, Winning Digital Customers, coming out in October. And anything else you want viewers to know about you or connecting with you or, or anything like that? No, you mean you can find me on LinkedIn as well as Twitter is at NFL CIO. And uh, yeah, I mean, I am just so fortunate to have this such a cool job and great relationships that I've built along the way. And I'm always open to hearing any of your stories too, because I learn that's where I learn what's happening next is I really do stay engaged with the community. So would love to hear from you. All right. Well, thanks so much, Michelle. Thank you all for watching. See you next time. Thanks.